is Jerry DiPiano, and you are listening to the Love Mia Vita podcast. Today, my special guest is Dr. Tamara Newhouse. Dr. Newhouse is a obstetrician gynecologist who is board certified and is practicing in California and New York. She received her medical degree from the University of California, San Diego School of Medicine, and has been in practice for 20 years. Tammy, welcome to the Love Me Evita podcast. You have such a distinguished career. Did you want to add anything to that very brief bio? No, that's, that's wonderful. Thank you, Jerry. It's nice to be here. Um, I have 20 years of experience. I have evolved my career sort of with my own um, aging. They always say that you're attracted to the medicine as you go through it. And I practiced obstetrics full scope for the first part of my career. And then I stopped having children. I've gotten older and gotten more curious. And my population of patients have aged as well. I've really spent the past five years focusing on the um, gynecologic care of women over 40, um, mostly in the perimenopause and menopause space. And, and, and not just in those spaces, but in the important life um, changes and preventative care that is unique to women after that transition of life. Thank you for sharing that. So we're talking about today, um, perimenopause and menopause as uh, a wonderful transition in our lives where we are more vibrant, but there is some trouble down under. And I don't mean in the south, uh, southern regions of the United States or in Australia. What I mean by that is we're talking about the genital and urinary symptoms of menopause, which is also referred in the medical terminology as genitourinary symptoms of menopause. All those wonderful symptoms like burning and itching and pain and loss of libido and urgency and frequency. And we're gonna spend some time helping our audience to better understand what's going on, but more importantly, what you can do about it because we want you to live your most vibrant life. And we know that GSM, as it's abbreviated, is a very significant disruptor of quality of life and overuse of the healthcare system. So we want to think about ways that we can help you through the transition and through the GSM symptoms in a way that perhaps is more natural and I wouldn't say unconventional, but more complementary. So we're not going to be talking about any prescription products today. We're going to be talking about ways that are benign and largely available to you without a prescription. So what is the trouble down under during perimenopause and menopause? What, what's cause, what's, what, are the, what are the symptoms and what is causing this to happen to our bodies? Well, you know, it's interesting is, is the genitourinary syndrome of, of menopause, um, GSM, it's actually one of the lead-in symptoms, one of the first things that can start happening to a woman, even in their 40s, and they're not quite sure what's going on. Um, maybe it's more frequency, having to pee more often, not being able to hold it as long, having that I got to go, I got to go right now kind of syndrome, um, some itching, maybe some like irritation after exercise, 
frequent um, burning with intercourse, um, maybe feeling like they're getting yeast infections or bacterial infections, just things aren't right down there. And it's not an immediate connection for women to think that this could be a symptom of perimenopause. They just don't understand what's going on. And, and we often do see changes in the vulva and the vagina and the bladder before you would have overt changes of perimenopause or menopause, like period irregularities or even hot flashes or night sweats. And basically what happens is, you know, our entire bodies have estrogen receptors in them. That's, you know, what, what makes us women. And as we go through perimenopause and menopause, our estrogen levels wildly fluctuate. And after menopause, those estrogen levels are practically undetectable. And all those places in our body that have estrogen receptors go through changes because they're not receiving that estrogen. And what we know in the, in the vulva and the vagina and the bladder, which all that tissue has the same um, embryologic um, start. And so they're all very similar and they all withdraw from estrogen, just like our brains and our hearts and our skin and all the other important organs in our body. And as that estrogen level decreases in those tissues down under, um, there are a number of changes that contribute to this GSM. We used to call GSM atrophic vaginitis or vulvovaginal atrophy. Atrophy is a terrible word, right? Atrophy means like weakness, crumbling, falling apart, like clearly named by man. So we're trying to call it a more appropriate name like GSM. And what we know is that estrogen has, plays a number of roles in those tissues down below. It is responsible for, you know, if you think about what a normal vagina looks like, because I know you know what a normal vagina looks like. Trust me, I know what a normal vagina looks like. There's lots of out. If you don't, if you've been listening to this podcast and you don't know what a normal a vagina looks like, I strongly encourage you to take a mirror and take a look. You need to know what the vagina and vulva look like and what the and the location of all of these very important body parts. That's right. So a well estrogenized vagina and vulva has lots of little folds. We call them rugae, um, little ridges. And these ridges produce um, your natural lubrications. They're what sort of allows the vagina to expand to have a baby or to accommodate a penis um, and also contract and provide all the moisture that you need, just the lubrication to walk around and do your normal day, as well as for arousal and orgasm. And these, the estrogen receptors in the bladder also kind of make a nice, healthy, what we call urothelium, which allows for the normal functions of the muscles of the bladder and, and all the functions that go on there. As estrogen levels decrease, you get a thinning of these tissues. And the thinning, there's a, a, a number of, of cascade of reactions, including a change in the bacteria that are down there. And you can get um, changes in the, the pH balance. Remember the commercials, pH balance for women. So the vagina is normally a fairly acidic place and that's what it needs to be. But as the, um, the estrogen levels decrease, some of the lactobacilli that live there that make it acidic, they die off. And so the vagina can get more basic, which makes other sort of the wrong bacteria collect, which can lead to bacterial vaginosis. And then you get imbalances, yeast and bacteria and whatnot. Um, and then that, that vagina can get thin and you lose that collagen in there that allows for the elasticity. So sex can become more painful. 
you're dry, you're not, you're not having enough lubrication. And then you get those irritative symptoms in the bladder as well that can cause the burning and the urgency and the frequency. Those are some of the big things that, that is how the estrogen actually you know, works down there. And then as you asked about the symptoms, you're right, Jerry, like there's dryness, there's decreased lubrication, there's pain with sex. Sometimes the, the skin can get so thin that there can be cracks in the, in the vulva and the vagina. So you get bleeding, which then can be confusing. Is this period blood? Is this not period blood? Um, there can be tears. Um, and then if you, if you have this horrible association with sex, you're probably not going to want to have sex. You have some, you know, libido problems with it. There can be discharge. Um, and you might just start to resent your, your whole vulva and your vagina. And there's also a lot of embarrassment and shame about it. And maybe with your partner, um, certainly with your physician. And it's, it's a hard thing to talk about sometimes. It's, you know, it's interesting that you share that because the research bears that out as well. So I know you, you know, you are speaking from the background of being an OBGYN and spending a lot of time uh, chatting with women. Um, and the research confirms that both healthcare practitioners and women are not having the conversations that need to be had with respect to GSM. Now, part of that <clears throat> is a function of, of what is um, at least reported in the literature as being embarrassment. Women are embarrassed. You know, we, we want to be vibrant. Um, we, we, you know, should be proud of being sexual beings, whether we are, um, regardless of what our sexual orientation is, we should be proud of being sexual beings. And yet, if this part of our life seems to be deteriorating, it can be the source of shame, as you pointed out. And so the question is, why are women not having more conversations with their healthcare practitioners? And the second part of that question is, do you think healthcare practitioners need to do more of an inventory when they see their patients? hundred percent. I mean, I can't tell you how many times that I would acquire a patient who would call up and said, I'm, I have a UTI. Can I just have antibiotics, please? And I would say, no, you need to come in and have an exam. And they'd be furious with me because they don't want to take time out of their of their you know schedule to come in and do this. She said, well, the last three times this happened, my doctor just gave me antibiotics over the phone. I said, no, you need to come in. I need to do a urine uh, exam and I need to take a look. And they're like, why do you need to take a look? And I was like, well, because somebody needs to look. And and I, I can't even tell you how many times, and especially in women over forty, that when they would come in and have their exam, the urine test would be completely negative, and then I would go down below for a vulvar exam. And they would have the signs, this pale, thin um, vulva. They would have a, a pale, you know, smooth vagina, clearly showing that they had lost estrogen. And in fact, they were not having bladder infections, that they were having um, GSM. It was GSM and the bladder was irritated and it wasn't an infectious irritation. Same with yeast infections. Um, I, have, I have a yeast infection I want. I want Diflucan, but it's not Diflucan. You know, it wasn't a yeast infection. It was a bacterial infection. And again, it, the setup for these reoccurring bacterial infections was not that they were doing something wrong with that, that they were estrogen deficient, that they were just not taking care of their bodies and not stopping to recognize that. And doctors are busy and 
you know, especially with the COVID and the pandemic, not in the business of bringing people in. And um, I don't, I'm not done a single Zoom vulvar exam. <laughs> These things need to be done in person. It, it's um, so it, during, it's interesting that during the pandemic, uh, we also did a webinar and in our webinar, uh, the, the question was asked, so what do you do? You're not gonna have a woman, uh, you know, spread her legs on a camera. That's just not what we're gonna do. But what she could do is she could take a look in the mirror to see if things are red, if there is discharge, there are certain signs that might be present. If there is foul smelling urine, if she has pain, if she has flank pain, obviously that would be something that would indicate that it's much more than just a, an uncomplicated urinary tract infection. But if none of those symptoms are present and if she's taken a look and you could ask the, the question about, is it what color is your vagina? Is it very pale? Is it very red? Do you see any lesions in that area? So there were some, some questions that our, um, our gynecologists presented, at least during that sequence in the webinar, that seemed to make sense. But now that offices are opening up, it absolutely makes sense for a woman to see her OB-GYN or her gynecologist. And we know, for example, that with overactive bladder, some women are confused as to whether they have an overactive bladder because they tend to be what we call comorbid. So they co-occur co and it tends to become, that is overactive bladder may tend to become worse as women age, also as a function of the decline in estrogen. So you can see how these would be confusing and why it's super important to have this conversation if your HCP, your healthcare practitioner isn't asking the question that you as a woman are asking for some help and some guidance and, and you need to be your own self-advocate. So there's nothing to be embarrassed about. And when we share the numbers, so the numbers of women over the age of 40 in perimenopause, menopause and postmenopause that experience these problems is staggering. So you're not alone. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. And this is a normal part of the aging process and there is help that is available to you. So you, you, you don't need to suffer in silence. I think that's a really key thing is that, I mean, it is so prevalent. And unfortunately, you know, everybody goes through a different perimenopause and menopause transition. Some will be, you know, very affected by hot flashes at night, but night sweat. Some people will have anxiety or sleeplessness or, brain fog and fatigue. I mean, there's a, there's a multitude of constellations and everybody's body is different. Um, we know that the transition is the, is the worst part. And, and after the, the worst of it, maybe five years, maybe 10 years, most women do great, but GSM does not go away. I mean, that is something that we live with for the rest of our lives and being in tune with our our vulvas and our vaginas and our bladders is so important as women, you know, as you live the next 40 years of your life. And there are so many things that you can do to make sure that, that you're not running to the bathroom all the time, or that you don't have painful intercourse or that you're not itching all the time as well. I mean, it's really important. People don't talk about this, but it is so common. It's so prevalent and it lasts for a really long time. You know, we, we talk about the, um, 
the common symptoms and you mentioned the issue of decreased arousal, which leads to decreased libido. We talk about our brains change, right? So I, I used to uh, use the analogy when I would speak to men who wouldn't really get it, right? So every man needs a gynecologist. And I would, I would often remark to the men who might be listening, whether it was at a conference or uh, pitching a very, an investor or what have you, that think about this. The, if you have a child and you take your child to the pediatrician and every time the child goes to the pediatrician, the pediatrician does an inoculation, does a vaccination. The next time you pull into the parking lot, that child is likely to withdraw in fear and not want to go there. And if you're a woman and you have pain, bleeding, and you have irritation after sexual intercourse, you're not going to want to have intercourse, whether it's with the same sex partner or with a person of the opposite sex. You don't want anything inserted in your vagina because it just hurts. And your, we, our neural pathways will begin to change. So yes, it is up here, but it starts down under when we have these problems. That is not to say that it is mutually exclusive. So I don't mean to diminish um, issues with libido, but in a woman who is entering menopause, who experiencing, has enjoyed sex and stops enjoying sex because of some of the symptoms that we just discussed, it's really important to rule that out before exploring other options that might be prescription in nature, right? Jerry, I'm, this is a, an interesting anecdote, an anthropological evolutionary anecdote. I and mean, I'm sure you know this with your pharmacology history, but like, you know, they, they talked about the phenomena of the Viagra divorces, where, you know, in the 80s, I think it was the 80s or 90s, they released sildenafil, Viagra, and all these marriages that had aged appropriately, where the men started to suffer from you know, impotence around the same times that their wives were experiencing vulvovaginal atrophy. And they just, they had a, a lovely relationship that didn't involve the same sort of sexual activity. And then they throw out this little blue pill and suddenly men have erections and the women are like, wait a minute, I am not ready for sex. That wasn't, we haven't been doing that for five years and now we're doing what? And they were, and the, they should have sent out, they should have sent out you know, treatment for estrogen for the women before they, you know, allowed the men to have the Viagra, but they didn't do that. And there was a whole bunch of divorces that were all these men realizing they could go have sex with younger women and they, they broke up with their wives. Yeah, and it, it's, that is a funny anecdote. And I will say this, that, um, that there are a number of, when women get together, whether it's over a glass of wine or something a little bit stronger, or maybe something that you know isn't isn't wine, but when we get together in a group, and those of us that have been through perimenopause and are in menopause now, I'm raising my hand. I am in menopause. Um, here. <laughs> we often speak about this phase of our lives, and there is no way that we want our partners to have a little blue pill. We don't care the brand, what the brand name is. We don't need an ED drug in the picture nope. because it just presents difficulty for those of us 
that are working through some of these issues regarding our vaginal and vulvar symptoms of menopause. And when I, so we talked about the numbers. So according to the research, this is, this is something I know, but I, I'm sure our audience may not be aware of it. According to research, vaginal dryness is the most bothersome symptom of perimenopause and menopause. And in menopause, it affects up to 93%, 93% of women. And guess what? Its intensity is moderate to severe in at least two thirds of those women. So when we gather in a group and we have these conversations and we become a little disinhibited, it becomes pretty obvious. You definitely don't want your partner taking an ED drug. So in an age appropriate relationship, it really does work well, but you still wanna have intimacy. You might not have the same kind of intimacy that you had when you were in your twenties and thirties, but you still wanna have intimacy and it's part of that relationship with your partner. But an intimacy takes a number of different can take a number of different forms. You know, it can be cuddling, it can be, you know, a back rub. It doesn't always have to involve insertive intercourse, but we we'll all like to have pleasure in different ways. And by the way, if you happen to be celibate or if you happen not to have a partner, you may also need to take care of your vaginal and vulvar symptoms in order to enjoy self-pleasure. There's nothing wrong with self-pleasure. And I, well, there's not only is there nothing wrong with it, but it's good for you. I mean, orgasm and vulvovaginal stimulation are good for the tissues of the vulva and the vagina. That increase in blood flow, that stimulation helps bring all the nutrients to the vagina. And you, it's, it's almost like exercise for the muscles down there. And so we do recommend um, orgasm or stimulation. I mean, I have been known to prescribe three orgasms a week for just to, <laughs> <laughs> for many reasons, but, um, but, but, but there's lots of ways to have that and it doesn't have to be penetrative. So when we, when we think about um, what's going on and how we can address these symptoms, um, we, we know you, you mentioned earlier, hot flashes typically go away in four years. So they, they may start in perimenopause. You may have one or two. You may not even know what they are. They're not part of GSM. When you start experiencing GSM, you know you're in, in it for the long haul. So you better take care of it upfront and you better start with daily, a daily routine because it will, get, it will get worse if it's not attended to. And it will also get worse if you're not having, get back to your three orgasms a week. Wow, um, sounds pretty <laughs> cool. Um, <laughs> I'll have to remember that, three orgasms a week. Um, so if you're, if you're not having penetrative intercourse of some form, whether it's with a toy or, you know, it's self-pleasure or with your, you know, the partner that you happen to, you know, love, love the one you're with, um, then, you know, we, um, we make it worse. It actually becomes worse. And we understand that, that what can happen is the vagina can collapse on itself. It's something called vaginal stenosis where it's like a hose. If you don't run the hose and the, the hose becomes dry and brittle because it's, it's outside in the sun and it just starts to collapse on itself. It's really hard for water to get through that hose. And so, or, or an artery for that matter, where it starts to close off, right? 
And so if it collapses on itself, then it becomes even more significant um, and a problem that, that may need some different types of intervention. But there is, there is a way in which to begin to address all of these symptoms. And let, let's talk about those. Um, let's talk about what we can do as what we'll call lifestyle changes. Lifestyle changes, number one, these are benign approaches. In pharma world, it's called first line therapy. We're not talking about therapy because therapy is prescription. We're talking about non-prescription. So we wanna talk about lifestyle changes and products that can be used to ameliorate the symptoms with very few consequences. So lifestyle changes. So lifestyle changes. Three orgasms a week. That's a lot. <laughs> That's a bit. Um, Non-hormonal, over-the-counter, daily vaginal moisturizer. So a vaginal moisturizer is something that you use probably three or four times a week. Um, it, it can be anything that is, a lot of them are hyaluronic acid. Some of them are water-based. Some of them are silicone-based. Some of them are oil-based. The most important thing is to, to, I like to recommend very few products um, non-irritants, nothing fancy. You don't need to put tea in your vagina. There are so many people out there wanting to sell you something that I would say the more simple the product, the better. Um, these can be used on a day-to-day -day basis just to make it more comfortable to walk around. Um, vaginal lubricants are typically more used for intercourse. And pretty much every woman over 40 really needs to use a lubricant in order to have sex comfortably. Whatever, anybody who is saying they don't need a lubricant is probably lying because it is the most normal and common thing. And especially in women, and, and this doesn't have to be just women over 40, but like you can get a low estrogen state when you're breastfeeding. Um, certain certain medical conditions can cause it as well. So so lubricants and vaginal moisturizers are, are for everybody, um, not just for, for you know, perimenopause and menopausal transitions. Um, these can be very helpful. Sometimes these non-hormonal uh, moisturizing lubricants are all a single woman ever needs. Sometimes they need to escalate, but, but usually this can be enough. Um, not using too many products, no soap in the shower. We, I always say that, you know, we talk about the vagina being a self-cleaning oven. Um, you can use soap on your anus, on your backside, but you should never use soap on your vulva or your vagina. Even my little girls, they're like eight, nine, and 10. They'll tell you no soap on the vagina. They know. Um, these are all good vaginal hygiene things that you can start with now. When we, uh, when we think about what's going on in the uh, vagina and the vulva, and we talk about the decline in two things, collagen and also hyaluronic acid. And hyaluronic acid is naturally found in our bodies. So those are two powerhouses, vitamin E. So these are all very natural. So looking for products that have hyaluronic acid and vitamin E, which provide that type of hydration and they're, they're water-based, uh, so they can be used every single day if you need them. Start off with the lowest amount, see how that performs for you. If it works well, then you can, um, then you can perhaps do it every other day. And when you are ready for intercourse, 
if you're lucky enough to find is in the Biavita case, we do have a product that is both a personal lubricant and vaginal moisturizer. And you should also use a vulvar moisturizer because let's not forget the area outside the vagina, which can become dry and itchy. And if it's dry and itchy and you start to feel the urgency and frequency, we know that that is part of GSM but you'll exacerbate the problem if you start wiping and you start visiting the bathroom more frequently. You're gonna create more irritation in the region. As far as some other tips, if you're smoking, now is a really good time to stop for many, many reasons, but believe it or not, smoking also causes a deterioration of collagen and exacerbates the dryness. Alcohol, I love my wine, but, and I'm sure that there are many people listening to this that enjoy a beverage, whether it's a cocktail or whether it is a glass of wine, just let's keep that in check and under control because alcohol can be drying. And then um, sex, more sex. sex Three times a week. <laughs> sex is really, sex, self-pleasure is, you know, part of sex and, um, and we should enjoy, you know, that, part of our lives on probiotics? I, I Probiotics, the pendulum goes back and forth on who should use and who shouldn't use. In some countries, they actually make a vaginal product where you can put probiotics directly in there. They don't always stick. You've heard about women doing natural remedies, putting yogurt in their vagina, trying to do the same thing. Um, I'm not sure you have to do anything like that. That's not I'm not a huge fan of that, to be honest with you. I've seen more contaminations, but again, I see the things that go wrong, right? The women that come into the office because something didn't work. Um, but healthy, balanced diet, I think most importantly is creating the, the appropriate pH. Um, the, the vagina, we used to, you know, I think I said this already, a self-cleaning oven, like it, it knows what it needs and what it doesn't. And when the, um, the, the imbalance happens. That's when you get overgrowth of the bacteria that normally do live there. And so it's mostly correcting the underlying problem. Why is that pH off? Why is it, are you using soap or products that you're allergic to? Are you wearing a pad every day because you're having some leakage um, or the wrong kind of underwear? Do you ride bikes every day? There are so many things that you, that you wanna look at um, before putting things in there. Usually you can correct it on its own. So when we, when we explore different ways in which to address the symptoms, the genitourinary symptoms of menopause, we, you mentioned something uh, that's really important to us. Your vagina is not a pina colada. Your <laughs> vagina is not a cup of tea. So although there are folks that will call their products natural, your vagina, remember this, very good, I like that, self-cleaning oven. It is a self-cleaning oven, but you wanna look at products that are also made with ingredients in a manufacturing facility that is under good manufacturing practices because it is inspected by the FDA. You wanna also look at ingredients that are of pharmaceutical grade ingredients because there are lots of products that are out there on the market. Put them in your vagina. They, are, they may be made with cosmetic grade ingredients. And that's fine for your face, the skin on your face, because it is much, the barrier is much stronger. Remember, this is a mucosal surface. So 
you want to look for pharmaceutical grade ingredients. Doesn't have to be a prescription product, but the ingredients should be pharmaceutical or medical grade ingredients. And as Dr. Newhouse, as Tammy said, with respect to probiotics, I love yogurt, but I'm not putting it in my vagina. So beware of, of those that bear that type of information. We wanna be super, super careful about what we use, particularly to deal with GSM. And if you suspect that you may have overactive bladder, there are overactive bladder inventories. You can probably even find those online to determine whether you are a woman, one of the 20 million women, I might add, that has symptoms of urgency or frequency and urgency, or if you're getting up lots of, you know, in the night, um, something called nocturia, um, you have to go to the bathroom many times in the, e in, the, in the bedtime hours. You may want to talk to your gynecologist about different ways in which you can rule out overactive bladder versus the genitourinary symptoms of menopause because they often look alike. I think the most important thing is if you're listening to this and you're wondering if you have any of these symptoms or if this could be happening to you, you should schedule an exam. You're probably overdue. Um, a lot of women think they don't need to go to the gynecologist except for every five years because they only need a pap smear every five years. You still should have an annual exam with your doctor, especially as you're going through a transition. I mean, so many women think that after they have babies, they don't need to go and they're not using those parts or they're not important to get checked out. But you should have an annual exam every year. Let your doctor look at your vulva, look at your vagina, talk to her about your bladder, talk to her about your sexual um your your sex life and questions or concerns, your breast health. Um, your heart health and prevention, your brain health and prevention. I mean, you should you should be able to talk comfortably with your doctor about all of these questions and understand what's right for you. Remember, you are your own best advocate. So when you are going to the health your healthcare practitioner, write a list of questions. Be prepared to ask those questions. We know that healthcare practitioners, gynecologists. Um, internal medicine specialists, they're all busy and they're busier even, even more busy now because they sh things shut down for a couple of years with the pandemic and now they are inundated with patients. So if you go prepared with your list of questions, that is a better way to guide your healthcare practitioner, but it also is, is helpful to you because you'll get your questions answered. And by the way, although Dr. Newhouse, I'll say this again, Dr. Newhouse is a board certified OBGYN. This is not meant to replace the advice of your medical practitioner. This is a podcast for information to help guide you to ask better questions when you do visit your healthcare practitioner. It is not meant to replace that, that very important visit that Dr. Newhouse is recommending. And we will recommend that you visit a healthcare practitioner. That's key. So Tammy, it was wonderful having you on the Love Mia Vita podcast. I can't wait for the next one. Thank you. And I want to thank you um, for your contributions. I know our audience is going to be really excited to tune in and listen. So remember to everyone listening to this podcast, Love Mia Vita. Thank you. Thank you.